So let me ask you a question. Who's ready for Christmas? Yeah, I've been asking people that like for the last two weeks, and most of the people look at me like, ah. Not yet. Thank God I have two weeks left to ask you today. And you're like, well, I got, well, I got about 12 hours, um, right? Like you've got the tree, you've decorated the house, you've put up the lights, you've hung the stockings, you've, uh, you've baked the cookies, you've sent out the cards, you've prepared the food, you've gone to all the parties and the Christmas gatherings, you went out and sung Christmas carols, you went to the shows, you've done everything that you needed to do. You are ready for Christmas. Some of you say, yep. I have crammed it all in. I've checked off all the boxes. I'm ready for Christmas. Some of you say, <laughs> not even close. If Amazon doesn't deliver today, I'm in trouble. Um, so needless to say, my counseling schedule gets real full in January. Um, uh, but right, some of us are ready. Some of us aren't. But let me ask you a different question, a deeper question. How many of you have prepared your hearts for Christmas? How many of you are ready in your spirit, in your soul for Christmas? See, Jesus didn't come so we could do a bunch of stuff. But sometimes we start doing so much stuff that we fail to make time and prepare our hearts for Christmas. God came in the flesh to be God with us, which means he wants to spend time with us. But we get so busy, we fail to make time to spend with him. And I... And I don't mean just coming on a candlelight service and singing some songs and being inspired, although you should do that. I'm not talking about coming just to church on Sunday mornings, but I hope you do. I'm talking about preparing your heart throughout the day, throughout the week, every day, saying, I want to experience God with me today. Now, there's reasons that we don't prepare our hearts. There's reasons we don't prepare our souls. There's reasons we don't Get our spirits ready to be with Jesus at Christmas or any other time throughout the year. Some of it is because all the stuff I talked about, the busyness of the season, right? We got all these things to do, all this stuff. But I think when we're honest, there's often a deeper reason why we fail to prepare our hearts for Christmas. And the reason is that we're so busy trying to earn God's acceptance, because there's a part of us that doesn't believe God has accepted us or can really accept us. We fear rejection and we feel like we're unlovable. And because we can't even believe that God could accept us, that God has accepted us, then when we look at other people, we think they won't accept us either. And so we live a life fearing rejection, which keeps us from being able to experience and accept God's presence into our lives. And then no matter what we do and how hard we try, we find out it's never enough. We're only ever one mistake away in our minds, one misstep, one uh, unkind word, one mess up. And all of a sudden, we fear that we'll be rejected by those who matter most to us. And so we live a life in fear of rejection, abandonment, being let down. So it looks like this. Some people are so scared of disappointing someone else. And it's not just because you can't say no, because what it is, is deep inside of you, you fear if you disappoint them, they'll reject you. There are people who get angry as a hornet when someone uh, doesn't respond the way they want, when someone is unkind to them. They get mad and they get angry. Why do they get angry? Because deep down inside, they fear that that person's anger is going to lead to rejection. 
There are people who get mad and angry when someone disappoints them. Because they feel like if you've disappointed me, then you're going to reject me because I don't matter to you. There are people who get mad at God when he doesn't respond the way they wanted to, how they wanted to, in the moment that they wanted to. Because they fear that deep down inside, if God doesn't move in my life in this moment, in this situation, it means he's rejected me. See, at the deep part of who we are that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to look at, most of us are terrified and fearful of rejection. And so what happens is all those things I just talked about reinforce those feelings. And so we live life unable to really open our hearts and our spirits and our souls to the presence of God because we're scared that we are unacceptable. But what we're going to find this morning is that Christmas, Jesus came to bring hope to the rejected. And we're going to look at that in the story of, the, the, of Jesus' birth, uh, kind of centering on his mother, Mary. And so we're going to read a section in Luke chapter 1, and it says this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Now hold on to that phrase. And we're going to see uh, that f- a similar phrase in just a few moments. But favored, what does that mean? You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It didn't make sense to her. She's like, I'm not favored. I'm, an un- I'm a forgotten person in a small little town, insignificant. I've been rejected. Nobody, I've overlooked. Nobody cares about me. I'm about to marry a carpenter. I'm, I'm not favored. Well, you're out of your mind, angel. She, she's troubled by this. God's with me. God's not with me. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You are favored. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be God with us, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God's own Son. And the Lord will give him the kingdom and the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And of his kingdom, it will never end. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then... Mary conceives supernaturally, and she travels to see her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, and they have an exchange and a conversation, and you can read all about that. But then afterward, Mary sings a song of praise, and I just want to read part of it. It says this, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has looked at me and he knew I felt rejected and abandoned and and unacceptable and, and I didn't have anything to offer, but God looked at me and he saw that. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. He stepped into my situation and he changed my life. He has lifted up the humble and he has filled the hungry with good things. So Jesus came. He said, I know that the human heart wrestles with rejection. And here's why. Because at the very beginning, we rejected God. And as a result, what has taken root in the heart and the spirit of every person is a fear that we'll be rejected in the same way. 
What happened after the first sin? They turned on each other. So what happens in our lives? We, re we rejected God because of sin, and we think God's just waiting to reject us, and we think everyone's going to turn on us, and they're going to hurt us, and they're going to let us down. And it's been a downward spiral ever since, and for so many of us, we can't even believe that we're acceptable. But once we realize that God's hope makes the unacceptable acceptable, it makes the rejected accepted, it changes some things in us because there is hope for those who have been rejected. And once you find that hope, we're going to see three things. And the first is this. When you find hope, you realize God's favor is upon you. When you find hope, you realize God's favor. Hi, greetings to you, Mary. You're highly favored. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't feel favored. Look at my life. It's a mess. I'm not favored. All these things have happened to me. I've been through hurts. I've been disappointed. I've got problems. I've got physical limitations. I've got financial hardships. I don't feel favored. If I was favored, why would this have happened to me? And you can fill in the blank. If I was favored, why did my spouse walk out on me? If I was favored, why did my boss fire me? If I was favored, why did my friends betray me? If I was favored, why did this happen? If I was favored, why has my life had so much hurt and pain and disappointment. And listen, why me is a normal question to ask. It's a very human question to ask. Why is my life like this? But when you find hope, you can begin to see it different. And what you can do is you can begin to turn that question back on itself. So you can always ask, why me? Why this? Or you can say, why not me? Why do you think that you deserve a life free of pain? Why do you think that your pain and your hurt and your hardship and your rejection is so much greater than everybody else? Why do you think that you shouldn't have had to endure what everyone else has had to endure? Different pain, sure, but pain is pain. Hurt is hurt. Rejection is rejection. So stop saying, why me? And start saying, God, why not me. I remember one time, and this was years ago, I was serving at a church, and, um, and they asked me to go in and kind of uh, work with the tech team and, and just kind of uh, do some um, uh, coaching on there and see some areas we can improve. And, and, and so I said, great, I'm happy to do that. So sat in on practices and, and rehearsals and worship services and, and, and things on uh, youth nights and, and all that and just Went, we had tech rooms, we had sound boards, we had lights, we had you name it. And, and so I just sat and took a bunch of notes, asked questions, and then got everybody together and began to unpack some areas that we could uh, make some changes and improve. And I'll never forget, afterward, this one guy came to me. I said, man, I'm just, I won't use the words he used, it was church. Um, but he said, I'm mad at you. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm disgusted with you. I said, well, what did I do? He said, you come in here. And all you do is criticize. You don't care about me. You don't care about anything. You should just be glad and appreciate that I'm here. You don't know what I've been through. He said, I, I was a, my dad abandoned me when I was three years old. I've never had a father in my life. My mom raised me as best she could as a single mom. I've had a lot of struggles and hardships, and, and, and people have said all kinds of things about me. And you had an opportunity to come here and, and encourage me, and all you do is criticize and just because your life hasn't ever had any difficulties and you haven't had to endure anything, don't think all of us have had it so easy. And I said, <laughs> I said, first of all, let me say, if you don't think I appreciate you, I am so sorry. I, I have failed. 
I do appreciate you. I'm so, I'm so glad you're part of the team, and I appreciate that you're here and serving and giving of your time. We couldn't do this without you. So I, I do appreciate you, and if I didn't communicate that, I'm sorry. And I'm not here to criticize. I'm, I'm here to help. But let me just say something else. I'm not devoid of pain. I'm not devoid of hardships. I'm not devoid of suffering. I've gone through a lot of stuff, and I can tell you the scars. I said, let me just tell you a couple of them. I said, 12 years old, my parents got divorced, tore my family apart. Everything that I thought was safe and secure is gone. I said, a few years later, I was sexually assaulted by one of the youth leaders in my church. I said, and then a few years after that, uh, one of my parents wouldn't talk to me for over two years, not a word, not a phone call. We lived five miles apart. I said, and then when we began to kind of start to rebuild the relationship a little bit, I had a child. We, we had another child in our family. I said, but for four years, for four years, they never saw their grandchild. They didn't come visit. It was after four years we had moved out of the area. After four years when I came back to visit that I had to take my child to see their grandparent. I said, so I, I, I'm not saying that because I'm some paragon of hurt. I'm saying I've gone through things. You've gone through things. We've all gone through things. Some of it because our own choices and our own decisions and our own behaviors and some of it because of things that other people have done and their choices and their behaviors. But none of us are exempt from pain. See, favor doesn't mean God makes your life pain-free. It doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt from hardships. It doesn't mean you're never going to feel rejected and maybe be rejected from some people. Think about Jesus, God's own son. He was made to suffer. He endured the cross, a betrayal of a friend, rejected by his friends. God didn't spare his own son. As a matter of fact, this is what Isaiah prophesied 400 years before Jesus was born about what he would have to endure. And here it says, he, being Jesus, was despised and rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with suffering. If Jesus wasn't exempt, what makes you think you'll be? Why do you think Jesus, hanging on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do I feel rejected in the moment when I need you most? And yet we know Jesus is favored by God. So if God's favor doesn't mean you get through life pain-free, what does God's favor mean? Well, God's favor isn't a feeling. God's favor isn't something you own. God's favor isn't a possession. Because if you can possess it, you can lose it. God's favor is a state of being, and it's something God does for you. It's a gift that he does for you. So here's my definition of God's favor. God's favor is this. Favor is God stepping into your situation to make a difference in your life. Not taking all the pain away, not letting you avoid all the difficulties. It's God stepping into your pain, into your hurt, into your rejection, into your abandonment, and saying, in this moment, I am going to do something and make your life different, but I'm not just going to end it, all the hurt and pain and disappointment for the rest of your life. So why is Mary favored of God? Because God steps in and she's, that she's humble of heart, that she has uh, this feeling of just nobody's looked at me, nobody's cared. I'm just kind of this forgotten person. And God steps in and does something in her life. But it doesn't take all the pain away. Hey, mom, dad, I'm pregnant. And it's God's. Her parents rejected her. Her family rejected her. Community rejected her. 
didn't go easy after that, but God stepped in and did something in her life. As a matter of fact, later on, it's prophesied, this son that was born to you, his life will be like a, a sword piercing your soul. But she was highly favored of God. So the single parent who's doing their best to raise a child, when, you're, when you realize, when you find hope and you realize you're favored by God, is when you can look and see God sent into my life a husband, a wife, a friend, someone to come alongside to help carry that burden. That's God's favor in your life. But there's a lot of hurt that got you to that point. So you're struggling with your finances, but you're favored by God, and God all of a sudden sends financial provision in an amazing way, and you're able to pay your bills. But the financial problems continue, but you're still favored by God because all of a sudden you can look and say, God stepped into my situation and made my life different. So David is favored of God because he stands in front of Goliath in a moment when he needed God's help, and God supernaturally allows him to kill Goliath. He's favored of God, and after that, what happens? He runs for his life, he's labeled as a rebel, and Saul's trying to kill him. And there had to be moments when David said, how am I favored by God? And Hannah, being mocked and ridiculed because she was uh, wrestling with infertility. She was barren, she couldn't have a child, and she's teased and made fun of. And God moves in her life, and she's favored. And she gives birth to a son and names him Samuel. But when that boy becomes about three or four years old, she made a pledge to God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And at four years old or thereabouts, she brings him and says, he's going to be raised here in the temple and he's going to be used by God. And when you have to let your child go at four years old, you don't feel favored. But Samuel grows up to be the last great judge of Israel and the great Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel. God uses in supernatural ways. So favor doesn't mean that you get out of pain. So what you have to do, if you want to understand God's favor in your life, you have to stop looking at what you don't have, what you wish you had, what you hoped was different. And you have to start looking at where God has stepped into your pain, where God has stepped into your life, where God has stepped into your situation and made a difference in your life. And when you do that, all of a sudden you realize, I am favored of God. See, for some of you, God wants to call you into a season of favor. See, there's a difference. You're favored of God, but some of you, God wants you to walk in his favor. But to walk in his favor, to walk in a season of favor means that at some point you have to say, I know where I've been. I know what my past is, good, bad, right, wrong, full of pain, full of success. I know all that, but I can't step into a new season if I want to stay where I've been. So if I want to step into a new season of God's favor and walk in his favor, I have to leave where I was and step into a new thing. And when you step into that new thing, and when you see God's favor in your life, and when you stop and you say, this is where God moved in a situation, and he did something miraculous, then do what Mary did and praise God. Worship him. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I magnify the Lord. I glorify the Lord. God, thank you that I can see in this moment you did something amazing. And it doesn't mean he stopped the pain. It means he moved and he made your life different. But the other thing is this. If you're going to step into that season of favor, then you have to respond to God's calling. To walk in God's favor means responding to his calling. And the angel said all this stuff to Mary. You'll conceive, the Holy Spirit will come on you, come upon you, and, and what you conceive will be, will be called holy. 
the Son of the Most High. And Mary said, be it done to me according to you. Everything you just said, let it happen to me. I will step out and I will say yes to the calling you've put on my life. See, we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to respond in faith. And if you want to walk in a season of favor, you have to realize first you are favored. If you want to walk in a season of favor, you have to respond to God's calling. So when you find hope that you're not rejected, it helps you to realize that I'm favored. The next thing is this. We're going to read in Isaiah. It says, you will no longer be called abandoned and your land will no longer be called desolate. Instead, you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. Now, in the original language, it's the word Beulah, married to God. Why? Because the Lord delights in you, and your land will be cared for. To me, now this isn't a passage we often read at, at Christmas time, but to me, this is one of the most hope-filled passages in all the Bible. You feel rejected. You feel desolate. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. You don't have to any longer. Why? Because God delights in you. God doesn't just tolerate you. God doesn't just say, I saved you, now shoot your best shot, and I'll see you in the rapture. God says, I, I delight in you. I rejoice over you. I sing songs over you. And you'll be cared for like a husband cares for his wife, like a wife cares for her, her husband. You'll be cared for. I love that it says, your land will be called married to God. Your land will be cared for. It's, it's easy to read that word, especially if you're a Bible reader, and hear the word land and think of the land, the promised land. Your land, where you live, your plot of land, your, your well-being, your, your, your physical space will be cared for by God. I'm not saying it doesn't mean that. But think now. In the book of Genesis, it says God formed man from the dust, from the dirt of the earth, from the land. So could it mean that God's saying, I'm going to care for the earth, the dirt, the person that is you? You personally will be cared for. Emmanuel, God with you. I'm come close to you. I care about you. I care about your hopes and your dreams. I care about your hurts and your disappointments. I care about your future. I care about your past. I care about every aspect of your life. I know how many hairs are on your head, and I know how long your life will be. I care about everything about you. See, when you find hope, you realize this, that God cares for you. He cares more for you than you'll ever realize. In Zephaniah, it says this. It says, your God is in your midst, the mighty Savior. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. And then in, uh, in Psalm, it says this. It says, you, O oh God, you keep tracker, track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God cares that much about you. He says, I, I know you're hurting. You've never shed a tear that God doesn't know about. He captures those tears. He records your sorrows. He's there with you, but he also sings over you. He delights over you. He sings songs of victory. When things are going well, he celebrates with you. And when you're in turmoil, he sings songs of peace and comfort and calmness. And he showers you with his love. And he comes into those moments and says, I care about you. 
You're not walking through this alone. You're highly favored. You're not rejected. You're accepted. Don't call yourself abandoned. Don't call yourself forgotten. Don't call yourself desolate, empty, lifeless, worthless. I care about every aspect of your life. So here's Mary. Not only is she highly favored of God, but she's cared by God. She's cared of by God. So what happens? She has to leave, go to Bethlehem, gives birth to a baby, and, and there they are. A husband who can't find work, bills that have to be paid, journeys that have to be taken. And what happens? God sends magi, wise men from the east, and they give gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those gifts are of high value, and they're able to help them in, in practical ways and in financial ways because God cared for her. And then Jesus dying on the cross as Mary's there looking up at her firstborn son. God says, I still care about you. I've never stopped caring about you. And in that moment, Jesus looks at his best friend, John, and says, John, take care of my mom. Take care of her because I care for her. So when you're highly favored, when you find hope, when you realize you're favored, you also realize you're cared for. But then there's a third thing, and we're going to see it in Micah. It says this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, you will, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. So we can obviously see the prophetic implications, right? Mary giving birth to Jesus, where? In, little, in the little town of Bethlehem. But what is it saying to us? It's saying that there will be times when you feel abandoned. There will be times when you're waiting. It's called a leanness of soul. It's called a time of preparation. It's a time when what you long for, what you believe for, what God wants to do in you hasn't yet come to pass. And in those times, it's easy to feel like God has forgotten me. But you have to remind yourself in those moments, God hasn't forgotten me. I'm favored. God cares about me. And what God's doing in those lean seasons, in that time of waiting, is saying, I am preparing you for something great. I know you feel small. I know you feel insignificant. I know you feel like nobody cares about you and that you've been rejected. But I am going to call out of you greatness. I am going to call out of you something amazing. But I don't feel like that. It's not about what you feel. It's about holding on to God's promise. Even though the promise hasn't happened, it will come. See, when you find hope, what you realize is this. You realize that God wants to use you. He has placed something amazing in you. But sometimes we just have to wait. Wait. We want to rush ahead and we say, if it hasn't happened when I think it should happen, then God's rejected me. And God says, I haven't rejected you. But it's not the right time. There's going to be a season of waiting, of preparation, but it will come. I love what it says in the book of Habakkuk. It says, for it is not yet the time for the vision to come true. You have this call on your life. God wants to use you. You have something inside of you. You have greatness inside of you. And God says, I'm going to call that out, but it's not time yet. It's not time yet, but the time is coming in a hurry. It will come true if you think it's slow in coming. Wait for it, for it will happen. See, it's so easy and natural for us to say, God isn't using me now, 
because he's rejected me. But what we fail to see is God isn't using you yet because he's preparing you. The angel shows up to Mary and says, Mary, you're favored. You're favored. You're going to be cared for. And you're going to be used. You're going to give birth to a son. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And 10 minutes later, Jesus is born. No. Jesus isn't born 10 seconds later. Jesus isn't born 10 minutes later. Jesus isn't born 10 days later. He's born 10 months later, even though at that moment the Holy Spirit came and inside of her was the fulfillment of God's promise. But it wasn't time. And she had to wait. That's why in Galatians it says, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. We have to wait. Wait, I say. Wait on the Lord. But it's hard to wait. It feels like I've been abandoned. The promise is yet to come. You are highly favored. You are cared for, and God wants to use you. So what does all this mean to those who feel abandoned, to those who feel rejected, to those who feel like they're unloved and unlovable and who feel like at any moment rejection is going to slap them across the face? It means this. Christmas brings hope that the rejected have been accepted. You are accepted and you are acceptable, not because of anything you've done, but because God looks at you and says, I love you. You're favored. I care about you. I want to use you. But at some point, we have to embrace that hope. Hope comes at Christmas for the hurting, for the overlooked, for the outcast, for the outsider, and for the rejected. It's so easy for us to think God has rejected me. But if we'll hold on to hope, we will see God using us in incredible, meaningful, deep, deep ways. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit, you would move right now in our hearts. I don't know what anyone's feeling right now. I don't know how they feel about themselves. I don't know how they view themselves. But I know when we quiet our thoughts, when we stop making all the objections and the justifications and the rationalizations, and when we're really, really, really honest with ourselves at the core of who we are, we're terrified of being rejected. But God, if we'll accept that because of Christmas, the rejected have been accepted, we never have to fear being rejected by you. And God, that changes everything. We can walk knowing we're favored. We can live knowing we're favored. We can navigate the hardships of life knowing we're favored. And we can look at where you step into those moments. God, we can live knowing we're cared for. That you care about everything that we've gone through. And you rejoice over us. And you collect our tears in a bottle. And God, we can live knowing that you are going to use us. If we'll wait for that exact moment. And not grow weary. And not give up and not force our own agenda. God, I pray that you would stir hope in our hearts. And for anyone here who would just say, I, I, I need a, a measure of hope this Christmas. Just right where you are, just raise your hand. I just want to pray a special blessing over you. If you just have the bone, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand to your feet. Just right where you are, just raise your hand. 
and say, I need hope. I need hope this Christmas. I need hope. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that hope would explode in people's hearts and spirits. God, it would be poured out in an abundance to those who have raised their hands. God, to those who need hope. God, would your hope fill them? Would they feel your love, your acceptance? God, would they experience your peace? God, would they know all that you want to do in and through their life? Because they are favored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to receive our Christmas offering. And so I just want to talk about that for a moment. Because there are times when we have to wait to make that difference. We're waiting for God to say, now is the moment. And I'm going to use you. But then there's other moments when we can be used by God. And this is one of those. So our Christmas offering, we don't receive Christmas uh, special offerings here at Hickory Ridge throughout the year. We receive one special offering at Christmas time, and that's it. And because of your consistent, faithful giving of your tithes, 10% back to the local church, we don't have to do special offerings. But this year, our Christmas offering is going to, uh, to help families because families are struggling. We want every child to be loved and supported. We want marriages strengthened and healthy. We want parents to find uh, support that they need. We want uh, families that are maybe fractured and just not even knowing how to, how to make things work to have the tools and resources that they need. We want people that are single, maybe because uh, they've been abandoned, because of divorce, because of uh, death, to know that they're not walking through life alone. So whether it's counseling, whether it's some things we're going to be putting together, we have some uh, fun things, some events, some, some opportunities, maybe a marriage conference, a parenting seminar. We're going to be uh, planning on doing a kid con this year, a, a student retreat in the summer. We've talked about maybe doing a family camp in the fall. We have our family fun days throughout the year. Uh, we want to do some events for men and for women. And, and our uh, offering, our Christmas offering is going to go help to to underwrite all that cost so we can make it either free or a little bit of an investment as we have to, asking those that are being a part of it. So when you give today, you're making a difference in marriages and families for parents, for children in this church and throughout this community. So here's what I'm going to ask. The ushers are going to come forward. And and on your chairs, there's an offering envelope. Now, you may be giving this morning. If if you don't want to give now, right now, you can give online. There's a drop-down menu. But Here's what I'm going to ask, whether you're giving right now or not, before the ushers go. Don't, don't go yet, ushers. Step back. Remember, I said, wait, I say. If everyone could just grab an envelope, whether you're using it or not, whether you're giving this morning, cash, check, just grab an envelope. I want that to re- represent your offering. And I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, these envelopes that we hold, that represent our offering, may they be acceptable to you a sacrifice of praise that would be used to make a difference in this church and in this community. God, it is a sacrifice. But God, you've always worked through those who honor you with their time, with their treasure, and with their talent. So God, I'm praying that this offering here this morning will be multiplied and its effect would be far greater than the sum of its parts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.